welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Hugh James Talks About Abuse podcast. My name is Danielle Vincent. I'm the senior associate in the abuse team. And today I am joined by Justin Levinson, who is a barrister at One Crown Office Row. Hi, Justin. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Well, thank you. So today we are going to be talking about the case that you were counsel on, which is FGZ versus Gaunt. Is that right? Yeah, FGX, she was anonymised as against Gaunt. Yeah. So for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of this case, it's been in the press this week. This is regarding the first civil case for somebody filming someone and putting it on the Internet. And the individual, the female that this happened to, she then brought a civil case against the defendant. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. So I I represented a, a lady who had been in a relationship with the defendant, Mr. Gaunt. They lived together as boyfriend and girlfriend. Unbeknown to her, he had hidden a camera or more than one camera around the property and had filmed her naked in the shower and naked in the bathroom and um, while she slept topless. He then took those video recordings and posted them onto an Internet site. And the details weren't exactly clear, but he either received payment for that or he received payment from people who viewed these videos of his girlfriend naked. She she discovered what had been going on, reported it to the police. He was prosecuted and convicted of voyeurism offences. And then she later brought a civil compensation claim against him seeking damages. So for this lady in question, this went on for a long period of time, having to deal with the criminal case and then the civil case subsequently. Yes, she discovered the images, I think, in 2017. She reported the matter straight away to the police. Police investigation actually took three years. It was quite unusual for a case like this. But I think it was a little bit delayed because of COVID and also because when the police searched his computers, they found other images that had to be investigated and that delayed the investigation. So the, the police investigation took about three years, which I, I think, as I say, is a bit unusual for one of these cases. And then the civil case took about two years. And the thing is with these types of cases is once these images end up onto the internet, there's just no control, is there, of actually for your client knowing where they actually ended up and who was viewing them, which I understand was significant part of the distress to her. Very very much so. She was a a very private individual and she was very much unnerved and distressed by the idea that other people had had viewed these images for, for depraved purposes. It was very unsettling for her, very much so. This case then ended up in the civil court system in front of Miss Justice Thornton earlier this year. And you represented in respect of the trial. And I understand that the defendant didn't turn up. 
That's right. He, he participated to, to some extent at, at various stages in the proceedings, but he, he didn't attend the hearing. And um, first thing the judge had to decide was whether it was fair to proceed w- without him. And she decided that, that it was because he was aware of the hearing and, and had participated in the process. So she decided that it was right to proceed w- without him and the, and the case carried on. But because he'd already been convicted of these offences, there probably wasn't an awful lot he could have said in his defence anyway. And indeed, judgment was entered against him. So she was claiming damages against him for uh, various torts or or, or legal wrongs. She claimed that this was infringement of her privacy. It was a misuse of private and confidential information and that he had intentionally inflicted injury on her. And all of those claims were established against him. And so the judge had to assess the compensation that my client was entitled to against her former boyfriend. And this has also come out in the headlines. I know lots of headlines were saying individual receives 100,000. And the breakdown of that is slightly less, isn't it? But for pain and suffering, she received 60,000. And then the associated losses, as you say, it was just over 37,000. That's right. So she got 60,000 for her her pain and suffering. She'd suffered a a psychological injury as a result of all of this and also to recognise the breach of her privacy. And then she was also entitled to claim her out-of-pocket losses that she had suffered already or would suffer in the past. That was things like the treatment that was recommended to help her overcome her anxiety and PTSD, but also the cost of seeking to get the images removed from the internet, which was an important part of the case for her. Yeah, I I came and watched this in the Royal Courts of Justice, and this was one of the things that I was most interested in because in my experience so far today, I haven't actually instructed such expert. But basically, part of the claim was that my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that if these images are placed online, often they are then taken from the the host website that they've been put on and then moved to other websites. And that so even if somebody contacts that direct website and asks for that image to be taken down. And as we've talked about on previous podcasts, this is a significant battle for people that have had this happen to them. That image may then pop up on a number of other websites and then another of other websites. So this effectively sweeping of the images needs to take place multiple times in order to have the images removed. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, I'm not an expert in in, in the technology, but my, my understanding is that if the images have been downloaded onto people's personal devices, then there's nothing that can be done about that unless one has access to the devices. But but what IT experts can do is they can de-index the link to the images so that when people search, it does not come up on searches. And so in the same way as if you type something in on on Google, um, you get a whole load of hits. This can be uh, de-indexed so that it it would just come down at the very bottom of the list or effectively not on the list at all. But one needs to keep doing it. 
And this is basically the first case like this to to come to the civil courts, isn't it? That's right. There's been uh, there was one slightly similar case before involving Alex Reed and, and and Katie Price, but it was it was somewhat different because it wasn't a, a personal injury case, and also it concerned people who who put themselves very much in the public eye as uh, reality TV stars and, and celebrities. This was very different. My case, it concerned just a, a, a normal private citizen who was very much not putting herself in the in the public eye. So it was a it, it was a different different case, although it had some some similarities. But the, the, the difference here was that this lady had suffered a psychiatric injury. She was claiming for the costs of, of removal and, and she wasn't somebody who had put herself in the public eye in any way. And just so our listeners are clear, in regards to the Katie Price and Alex Reed case, and, and people may remember Katie Price referred to as perhaps Jordan in a in a glamour model days, she reposted, didn't she? Is that that's what happened? Pictures of her then. I, I think it was her husband at the time. That's right. She, she, she had images of her her husband engaged in in sexual activity, and she showed those to other people. But I I don't think they were put on on the internet on a on a pornographic website. In that case, they were simply shown to a number of people. And that it? got some attention because because Mr. Reed was hit, hit himself something of a celebrity. And one of the things that came out of this case and the judgment was something I think you put forward, actually, was that normally when we discuss these types of things, we call it revenge porn, which I don't like anyway, because revenge suggests that there's an element of, you know, getting back at someone, which is clearly not the case in a lot of these type cases. You referred to it as image based abuse. And I think that is a much better way of explaining what's happened to someone. That's exactly right. I mean, I I, I think that's a, a more neutral, a more balanced, a more respectful term. As you say, the word revenge suggests that the uh, victim somehow deserves what happens to them. And of course, that, that, that's not at all the case here. But these cases can be brought not just in cases where someone posts images of somebody on a website. And those images may have been covertly recorded in this case without the person's consent, or there may be images that the person happily shared during the course of a relationship that then get misused after the relationship, or in this case, it was during the relationship. So there are those sorts of cases, but there's also cases where it doesn't get put on the internet, but it simply gets sort of shown around. And I'm involved in another case where a, a lady shared topless pictures of herself with her boyfriend during the course of the relationship. Then some years they, they worked together in an office. Then some years later, after the relationship had ended, these pictures were, were doing the rounds on a, a, an office WhatsApp group. And that caused her, her a lot of distress, even though it wasn't put on the internet for, for public consumption. But these images were shown around to people people who she knew and that was very distressing for her and she's bringing a a similar claim against the person who did that. And the thing is with this day and age is that you know especially when we're looking at children they have mobile phones a lot younger than definitely when we were growing up and the situation is is that you know we hear things like this not just in the workplace which is awful for that individual but also in the playgrounds these days when you've got younger children sending images and you know we've talked about this a lot this has been in a lot of the press and teachings within the school and there's been warnings but this is something that looks like it's going to become 
bigger and bigger and there's going to be more types of these cases coming. I think that's right. And I think that's why the, the term image-based abuse is better, because it, it, it covers a, a, a broader range of, of, of wrongdoing. Of course, just about everybody's got a mobile phone with a camera on, haven't they? And so there's lots of pictures of lots of people in, in circulation and people may either be coerced or bullied into allowing these images to be taken or they may take them voluntarily. But then circumstances change, relationship ends, something like, like that. And these images are still are still out there and would be capable of being distributed for indefinitely and causing people an awful lot of distress. So some of these cases would involve children, but lots of them involve adults. Yeah, of course. And I think going forward, we obviously had in the press and sort of the end of last year, the Stephen Bear and uh, Georgia Harrison cases where our listeners will will know because we did a podcast on it. He had CCTV footage of them having consensual intercourse. It was on his CCTV in the garden and then he shared it onto his WhatsApp and then it went onto his OnlyFans account, which is a paywall that people were seeing it. And obviously that caused her significant distress and he was charged with, with, with offences for that. And I think sites like OnlyFans and Pornhub there's a real concern here about what they're doing to make sure that these people in the images and the videos are consenting. Because obviously, if they are consenting and that's a site that they want to use, then by all means. But for people that get put onto these types of sites, which can then be moved and, as you say, go to all different sites and it's a constant battle to have these removed, this is a, a significant problem and a detriment, as you say, in, in this case, your client ended up with psychiatric diagnosis because of it. That, that's right. I mean, what, what was particularly unpleasant about my case was that the, the former boyfriend had not just put these videos online, which I understand were probably not a very good quality. Obviously, we, we don't get to see the, you know, the, the images. They're not shared. The, the, the police w- w- would have had those and, and they wouldn't be distributed to the lawyers for, for you know for, for reasons of the victim's modesty, understandably. But I understand the pictures weren't necessarily that good quality. But, but what he did was he put high quality photos of her face on the website next to the images, which meant that she was very easily recognisable to people who already knew her. So that was a particularly unpleasant aspect of it. But yes, I mean, it's very similar to that to, to that case you, you mentioned. You know, doubtless it, it does present a, a challenge for the administrators of these websites. Because the images are not of themselves illegal. These are, are images of, of adults. What what makes them illegal is that they um, there's no consent to them being posted. And that wouldn't necessarily be apparent from the images. But, you know, as we said, if there's a website that purports to specialise in, in revenge porn, that might well suggest that there's no consent to those images being posted. Yes, I mean, that that was many years ago in the States, there was, it it became a a Netflix documentary, The Most Hated Man on the Internet, that effectively did what has happened to to the client in this case. But that was many years ago. And, you know, we've moved on from then. There's a lot more protection. But even things like the online safety bill, I still feel that more needs to be done going forward for, for protection. I understand with technology, you know, it feels like we're ever chasing to to stay in touch with what's going on and especially with things like deep fakes and all of those types of things the technology is just beyond crazy these days but it's clear that this could ruin someone's life or, or feel like that at the time when the individual is going through it 
I'm sure there's no no doubt about that. You know, the, the law is always going to be a little bit reactive in cases like this. But what can be done, and this case shows, is that one can go against the primary wrongdoer. So this gentleman was was prosecuted and and convicted, and sentenced to a a term of imprisonment, but I think was suspended, and he he's had to pay compensation to to his victim, which will enable her to get the treatment she needs and do what can be done to get these images removed. So that you know should have a a deterrent and very sort of sobering effect on anyone who's thinking of of doing this sort of thing. Yes, especially if the compensation, as you say, means that that individual will end up selling their house or losing their pension or losing all of their savings. Hopefully that... Well, I mean, he, he was ordered to pay uh, close to £100,000 plus, plus plus the legal costs in a significant amount of money. OK, and just to wrap up, Justin, what do you think is next for these types of cases going forward? Well, I think they're going to become more common. I think what's prevented there being more cases like this in the past really is people probably not being aware that they can bring these sorts of claims. And so I think it's important that people are made aware of what their rights are and what what can be done in these circumstances. Of course, a lot of people will be very upset and distressed that this has happened. And the last thing they'll want to do is devote any more time or attention to it. And they'll want to just let it all blow over. But there'll be other people who want to take legal action against the wrongdoer and get these images removed. And that's perfectly understandable and and, and they're right to do so. And it would be a shame if people are not doing that because they're not aware that they can. Yes. Well, as you say, this case has hit a lot of headlines and especially in our industry, everybody is talking about it. So I should say congratulations on your fantastic result, Justin. This was... um... Well, thank you. (laughs) A, a brilliant case and as I say everybody that is in our industry is talking about it at the moment and as you say I really do hope that the individuals that this may impact that they become aware of their their rights and actually people that are potentially going to be perpetrators realize that this will have significant life-changing impact for them also. Uh, absolutely so uh, we need to think again. Well, thank you very much, Justin. Hopefully you we will have you on the podcast again soon. Um, thank you, podcast listeners. Of course, if you have any questions about this podcast or any other podcasts that we have done, please do feel free to email the team. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.